Hey, everyone. Welcome and welcome back to our previous listeners. Uh, this is a Roll for Insanity podcast. Uh, my name's Kevin, and I am one of the hosts. We also have today Clay. Howdy. We have Bree. Hello. We have Ryan. Hey, guys. And we have the man in the chair, the, the infamous Nathan. Oh, hello. See, we wanted everyone to know that he was not actually a bot, that he is a live person, uh, and that he keeps us running smoothly. We didn't make and him hopefully, up square. Well, that's not, not necessarily <laughs> completely true, but yes. <laughs> I'm afraid of the implications behind that. <laughs> he's a tulpa. Yeah, well, and he's he really isn't a bot, and he's been doing a fantastic job, and we do thank him for that. As this uh, episode, we wanted to start with uh, Bree and uh, her new segment. We're going to call it the New Players Corner. Uh, we unfortunately ran out of time last time, so we wanted to make sure that uh, we gave her the first go so that she would have at it. So I'm going to let Bree explain what's going on, what the segment's about, and then we'll go from there. Bree? Thank you. Yes, so today what I have in New Players Corner, I wanted to talk mostly about backstory so this is for both kevin and ryan because i they're the only dms i know personally so what i like to know is how important is a detailed backstory to you when there are new players and what's a happy medium to where it's detailed but there's room for you to create more to their story later on in your campaign um okay i can answer that to first, if you don't mind. Um, Go for it. Okay, so I think that backstory is one of the most often skipped pieces in character creation, especially for newer players. But I also think that it's one of the most like important and useful for both the player and the DM if you plan on having any like story-based aspects for your game. So, like, if your game is just going to be about, like, killing monsters, getting loot, getting stronger, killing more monsters, then, like, obviously backstory isn't going to be a very big deal because roleplay probably won't be a big facet of your campaign. But I think that it's super important to have um, a backstory, at least, like, a really basic one, even, written when you first create your character. Um... I think that it helps you as a player to be able to get into like the head of your character. So you can kind of think of like, oh, why would my character do this? And you can kind of reflect on the motivations of like what happened in their past um, and why they're where they are today. And then as a DM, it's super helpful because as a DM, I personally want to engage in my players' backstories and make them feel like this isn't just some character that they made up. It's somebody who was like a part of this world that they're playing in. And so like, let's say for instance, that you make a paladin named Bob or something, right? And Bob has had his hometown like burned down and he thought that there were no survivors and that he was the only one. And so he goes on to like avenge the whole like village but then you could introduce a character and it's like, Bob, I'm from your village. I didn't actually die. And that's like a really cool character element. But if the player hadn't written that backstory in the first place, then the DM would have never been able to make that character um, like relevant. So I would say it's important to have, but it doesn't have to be like some four-page essay. 
that um you know some people choose to write yeah and i i'll i'll cue on top of that because when i first started the backstory wasn't really anything that anyone even discussed the role playing was literally i am playing this character and this is the way i'm going to play it but there weren't any backstories i think as the game started to evolve the more i got into it the more that and and i would say it's probably the younger crowd that decided they wanted to put a lot more of their uh, creative uh, being into the characters and they like that backstory uh, like we discussed last week you know the uh, the writer for um, Game of Thrones when he started as a young DM I'm sure there are plenty of DMs that like that uh, there are some DMs that would just want the they want that physical aspect and the backstory is okay, but you know, like you know, Ryan was saying, I, I want it like two sentences. That's it, and that's that's enough. Um, I actually like it. Uh, you can actually bring the characters in, and it does give you some type of uh, connection with the characters and possibly the NPCs or the the area, the you know, the town or the continent or what you know, whatever you're playing. Uh, it could be the nemesis. Uh, is somehow tied in. Uh, we are currently running our campaign, and uh, the backstories are slowly starting to come together. Uh, it is a little more work for the DM, but I believe, like Ryan said, uh, I think it adds to it. There is just something about an actual story. You're actually weaving this together, and it's not just a game. You are role-playing, but you do have this whole story, and even the characters that may not be immediately involved, all of a sudden they see how the history, how the, you know, the connectivity, everything comes together. So I think it's good. Uh, I do know that some DMs don't like it just because it seems to slower the games down. Sorry, slow the game down. Um, however, with us, it, we're looking at a, a campaign that could last a very long time and it just kind of just keeps building on itself. So I think that is a good way to do that. But like Ryan said, you also don't want, you know, 16 paragraphs. You don't want a short novel, you know, based on that. Because then it doesn't lend to any of the uh, DM uh, being able to you know, bring it together, uh, you know, and, and have him kind of help finish the story. I mean, if your DM is willing to read through 16 pages of backstory and incorporate <laughs> it into their campaign, then, like, <laughs> by all means, do it. I had one of my players give me like three pages worth of backstory. I have to go over it with him before I get into like the next leg of my campaign. But like, yeah, I I have explicitly told my players like, hey, if you want to write like a 10 page essay on your character's backstory, I'll read all of it. But like, I'm probably going to critique it and make changes so that it fits into the story that I want to tell and right. into the world that I created. So. I feel like if you have that much of a backstory, you should just be a DM. Just you already have the story in your heart. Just just start your own campaign. We need more DMs. Well, yeah. see, when I I think when I can't remember what year it was. It was maybe 2017, maybe 2018, and I want to say uh, we were at your house, Ryan, and the everyone was character building, and it took at least three hours. And so. <laughs> I don't think I would. I wasn't doing anything. I was just hanging around. But initially, I thought, "Wow, I do need that super detailed backstory." But the more I'm reading in general, like helpful tips and all the online sources, 
there's a good medium where maybe answer what are you fighting for what what's your you know relationship with your family how did how how did you grow up things like that and like a happy medium where you can write some basic things like principles and beliefs and that way throughout the story the dm can sort of nod and acknowledgement some things and kind of tie you into the story that much better like hey that's your thing right your moment to shine and i really like that and for me with this campaign that i'm doing i wrote no backstory to all of the new players who are listening um, i don't think it's too late uh, i probably will because of where we are in the campaign uh, i was just curious like what's a happy medium or what are some base questions you want answered um so- yeah, uh, to add on that, I also think that 5e has done a really good job of making it a lot easier to write a backstory. They added in the whole like backgrounds and character traits with like personality traits, ideals, bonds, and flaws, which um, they incentivize you to like actually like pick a background that fits your character. And they have like tables if you want to just like randomly create all of your traits and stuff. But I think that. Um, it's a lot easier to roleplay the way that your character would be when every time you're looking at your character sheet, you have like your personality traits and your flaws and everything like just sitting there looking at you and you're like, oh yeah, my character is afraid to commit any to anything because he had his heart broken or something. Oh. And so like if if you, when you have that constant reminder, it like, helps you to stay in character and also to write your backstory in the first place. So like you might look at a personality trait and it's like this person values friends above all else. And you might go, okay, but why are they like that? And then you can kind of work backwards from, and I think that they've really just set up like a really good foundation in fifth edition that allows you to be a lot more focused on your character but they do a lot of the heavy lifting for you with backgrounds and all of the traits that come with them. And Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that uh, it, it, that all started with the fifth edition. They actually um, wanted more from the, the the player characters, so they actually created the background. Where in 3.5, I at least I don't remember doing that when we were creating characters. I never worried about a backstory. I mean, pretty much you have your characters that are, you know, and, hey, I am I am Mr. You know, smash, smash, smash. And, you know, he's typically a fighter or a barbarian, you know, and they go with that and that there is no really backstory. They just they're very upset, angry people that want to break everything. I think the fifth edition helped to bring about the full character and that i i would have to agree that is it, it, it's playing now especially in our campaign and the way that uh, i see how this is moving forward i would say this is a good thing so great question brie absolutely great you got anything else yes uh this is more so um about i've been reading about you know session zero or kind of a prerequisite sit down with all of your players I know, Ryan, you do Roll20, and you've done in-person games. Do you guys do that for all of your campaigns at all? Sometimes um, do you start with, this is 
what my story is going to be about and do you work one-on-one -on -one with each of your players before you start your campaign um so for me the way that i usually do it is i usually do if it's with a newer group i'll do character creation and like a session zero on the first day so basically they'll get their characters made and i'm there to help them along with every step of the way um because it's really daunting making your first character when you've never played before. And then um, I will basically try and get a feel for what my players want to do. Um, generally, when I start a new campaign, I want to see what other people want to experience rather than what I want to experience. And then when I start writing it, I usually find like a happy medium. Too. Um. And so one way that I've done that is by... Uh, I've actually done world building with my players before. That's how my current session started, was I was like, hey, I want to make a fantasy world. And so I planned out like all the different races, where they lived, which empires were where, the names of every single kingdom. And my players got to help me like build all of that, and I thought it was super cool because they got to be involved with that side of things. Um, and like, realistically, it's just a big overarching thing. So they all like, if they lived at all in that world, they probably knew all of that information anyway. Like, um, I don't care if they know that there's some continent across the world that's filled with halflings. Um, because if you live in the world, you probably know that it exists anyway. So, um, right. right yeah. So that was just like um that was a super cool opportunity that i had to bring everybody in on that and so by the time we started we all kind of had like the same general idea we were on the same page because they'd helped me to make the world that we were all going to play in together um but then in other campaigns i've given people there are a few of these floating around and i've done a couple of them but i'll send them um, a document and it asks really basic things like um, do you want this campaign to be more serious or more funny um, what kind of elements are you looking for are you looking for like an epic story like big battles a dungeon crawl playing in like the forests and stuff um, and then like uh, if you were to get a if you were to get loot from killing a monster would you prefer like the deed to an old house or like a magic item, or a weapon that makes you more powerful. And so it's just a bunch of kind of like all over the place questions, but it really helps you get a feel for what each person is trying to get out of this experience. And you won't be able to please everyone a lot of the time, but if you can check most people's boxes, then... That organizes know. a lot, and that's very, very smart. And with what you said, with kind of co-writing the story together that sounds like a lot of fun too and i feel like people want to play more into it and will follow the rules or whatever other rules you may have because they're getting to write the story with you yeah and i, I feel like that's what D D is about a lot like the dm will have an overarching plan but really the dm and the players are going to be the ones who are writing the story because if the dm is the only one writing the story it's no fun for the players because they feel like they have no agency. And if the players are the ones writing everything, then it's not going to be yeah. fun for the <laughs> DM. He's just going to get stepped all over. And yeah, it's all going to fall apart really quickly. 
but yeah so sorry that was a long-winded uh explanation there but um that's pretty much what i do most part and there's no time for me i'm sorry <laughs> that's okay i mean that was good and i mean i could say that i'm a little more fluid i'm not quite as uh, regimented um i'm pretty much open to anything there are certain things that i will you know flat out say no you i'm not going to allow that it it takes too much time or it uh, it takes away from the game but for the most part i kind of weave everything together i'm more of a shoot from the hip i'm not anywhere near as organized as ryan and that's fine it's just a different style Uh, i pretty much can take on anything that you throw at me and if it gets a little too carried you know uh, carried away or if it becomes a little too chaotic um then i'll just i'll start to clamp down a little but for the most part i, I do like the back stories and then you have to figure some way to bring them all in and i think that's where some dms get a little uh, a little timid if they're running a campaign with more than three or four players um i really don't have a problem with it if when you get beyond seven players or eight then it becomes just unruly, and then you've got too much downtime for a lot of the characters while you're trying to deal with the others. Uh, that's when a multi-DM campaign comes in, and I've played some of those as well. Uh, those are yeah, those become very, very complex and very quick. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. You probably want to stay with smaller numbers, uh, especially if your DM isn't uh, really good at being able to handle everybody. So... Bree, fantastic. I hope you bring more questions next time. Um, we're going to shoot over to our next segment, the uh, the infamous Two Lies and a Truth. And so I'm going to let Ryan take that over. And uh, Clay, uh, I hope I hope you're ready. I'm All right, take it away. <laughs> okay. So um, last week I hinted that this one was going to be um, animal-themed or monster-themed, I guess, rather. Uh, so. Here are uh, three different creatures. Um, one of them is a real one, and two of them aren't. And uh, Clay, you get to figure out which one of them is real. So um, <laughs> uh, we're just going to get started here. So the first one is that there is a creature that is statistically the same as a bear, but it can cast druid cantrips, and when you kill it, it turns into a tree. So okay. that's, yeah, that's the first one. Um, the second yeah. one is that there is a creature that is a demon, but honestly, it just kind of looks like a giraffe in its metal phase. Um, it has black skin and goat horns, and it can breathe fire. Okay. Okay, and then here's the third one. Uh, this one is a creature that is basically just an extremely violent garden gnome, and uh, they have to soak their hats in blood to stay alive. What? <laughs> Wait. Okay. So we already. So right off, right out the gate, we've got a weird bear, and we all know how I feel about weird bears in D anD. d We have a, a a black giraffe that can breathe fire. Yeah. That could. Yeah. Weird question mark. Yeah. And we've got a weird little gnome that soaks its hat in blood. <laughs> to walk you through my mindset here, I, I I can't imagine that I I have to hope that Ryan is not so creative as to invent a gnome that soaks its hat in blood. I can absolutely see him 
making a different kind of bear. I can 100% see Ryan being like, you know what would be weird? A big black giraffe. Because Ryan loves giraffes. I, I think I got you figured out on this one. It's, mm. it's the gnome. That is fake. It is fake. My, um, my unofficial I know the, guess is well, we, the there's two fakes. giraffe. There are two fakes. We have to find the real one. Right. That the, It's the bear. I bear know it's is the, the real one? Of course it is. It's the bear. They have so do you do any of you know how many different types of bear there are in D&D? I don't, but there's tons. I don't think you know uh, the types of bear in general. I don't in know the world. real bears, but I know there's too many bears in D&D. So, so I need you to tell me I'm right. My so unofficial to, guess is the giraffe. That's so, the real one. To clarify, you think that the real one clay is that there's a creature that statistically has the same st- uh stat block as a bear. But it can cast druid cantrips and turns into a tree when it dies. Yes, hundred percent. That absolutely is real. Yeah, say final it. answer. Final answer. Not, I. Yeah. Ooh, sorry, Clay. Uh, the actual oh. real monster was uh, the garden gnome that has to soak its hat in blood to stay no. alive. No, it is not. <laughs> it's no, called. It is, not. it is called a red cap. It's called a what? A red cap. <laughs> Why? Because its hat is red, Clay. Thank so you. Blood. It doesn't have to <laughs> soak its hat in blood. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fairy. It's how it stays alive. Fairies stay alive? <laughs> yeah, never generally. i Peter Pan again. Oh, this, is a, this is nightmare fuel. This is supposed to be a family-friendly game, and we've got tiny people soaking hats in blood. How did they absorb that? Do they have, like, a mouth on the top of their head that, like, sits under this hat? No, are it's, these things... it's, it's just a hat. It's yeah. just a hat? Yeah. So are they just walking around dripping blood on themselves, being like, yeah, this is fine. Pretty like, much. this is what we need to do. Yeah, no, they're, they're awful. Uh... So there was a coalition of gnomes at one point in the past that was just like, you know what I couldn't <laughs> live without? They're like, what, little gnome? And they were like, soaking my hat in some blood. And they're like, you know what? I think we should all as a species just kind of evolve into this so that we cannot live without soaking our hats. That's the stupid. Yep. So um, for anyone that's interested, that is the red cap from Volo's Guide to Monsters. I'm Um, not interested. And (laughs) the trait that I was referencing is called Steeped in Slaughter, which uh, states to sustain its unnatural existence, a red cap has to soak its hat in the fresh blood of its victim. When a red cap is born, the hat is coated with wet blood, and it knows that if its blood isn't replenished at least once every three days, the red cap vanishes as if it had never been born. A red cap's desire to slay is rooted in its will to survive. Wait. Are they born with the hat? Yeah. They're born with the hat. So (laughs) is the hat, does it appear with the child, or is it pre-made? They they also have giant metal boots. (laughs) To go with so the hat. There. I don't want to live on this planet anymore. I'm done. <laughs> I. Mm-mm. This is it. I'm retiring. Well, uh, yeah. uh, thanks for playing, Clay. Uh, next week, I think we'll do uh, spells. So. I hear a Tywin oh. rant coming on. Yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> and I had been thinking about this. Um, I was scrolling through um, just. D&D stuff, because I'm an idiot, and I don't know anything about the game, so I'm trying to teach myself things. And I came across something that 
just made me kind of irrationally angry, as so many things seem to do now. Um, what what on earth is an owl bear? I'm, uh, I'm genuinely asking, what is an owl bear? Well, it's a half owl, half bear. What more is there to say? Um, there's a lot more to say. Uh, what unholy abomination is an owl bear? How does that happen? Is this? Or did they just? Are they born this way? Or are these genuine question? Are these created by something? No, like are these like? I'm sure, they're natural. Un, they're natural. That's they're not natural. They're, they're absolutely not natural. One now. I don't care what the book says. Hold on. Let's just take a quick look here. So I have the owl bear page pulled up here. Oh my! This is stupid. So to describe it, I know this is an audio platform. To describe it to you, people at home, imagine a bear, and then imagine the angriest-looking owl face that you've ever seen. Like it just looks, it looks so annoyed. And it's it's even more hulking than a regular bear. Like, I feel like this bear, this owl bear, could pick up a regular bear in its stupid beak and throw it across the forest. And that makes no sense. I don't understand how this happens. Oh. Oh, it's description. Let's see. A monstrous cross between giant owl and bear. An owlbear's reputation for ferocity and aggression makes it one of the most feared predators in the wild. It looks like something I would have drawn when I was eight years old. How is this the most feared predator in... I? It's probably on account of that they will attack things until they're dead. You know what does that a lot is most of the things in, in a D&D campaign. Most things will attack you till you're dead. Yeah, the stats on it are pretty incredible, too. 20 strength score. Yep. This thing could bite through steel, I bet. Yeah, I don't get it. It uh, It's a challenge rating 3, so, and uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty big critter. Uh, but you're right, it doesn't, it's not a cute owl. It's not a cute no. owl by any sense. No, no, it, it's an <laughs> ugly owl. Challenge to listener, look up an owl bear and um, just try not to get irrationally angry about it. I, I don't think it's possible. Hey, why don't you look up baby owl bears and maybe you'll feel a little bit better. Okay. They're probably only, you know, the strength of 18. Yeah, we all know Clay's track record of um, babies with bear. and anything that ends with bear. Yeah. yeah. Those baby bug bears had it coming. Okay? And if... You all hadn't been there. There would have been a much different ending to that story. Yeah, barbecue. I'll leave it there. Hey. It, oh, well. All right, all right. That's okay. <laughs> easy, buddy, easy. Mm. So, very interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. That's the word for it. Thanks, Wizards <laughs> of the Coast. Wow, now I, now I know what owlbear looks like. That's, there you go. So, Maybe you owlbears know, do look pretty cute. This and, is nice. Just remember that uh, <laughs> druids, once they seize the creature, that might be a really good one. I think it oh. has to be a beast, and I'm pretty sure the owl bear is a monstrosity, which I oh, think it is. is an, I think you're oh, right. Absolutely I think a it's monstrosity. An apt characterization. That's true. Yeah, That's that so is upsetting. true. I appreciate uh, you giving me hope. <laughs> I, I've lost all hope. <laughs> because I would definitely turn into one to make clay square. 
All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on. I've got one for the DMs corner. Um, the question was thrown to me um, uh, by Clay. He uh, he he feeds me. It's called a this or that. And the one he threw out to me this week was uh, battle maps versus uh, theater of the mind. And for anyone who's not sure exactly what that is, the battle map is a a map that either has a hex or square uh, grids on it, and it is used to measure distance and the move of the characters. So some characters have a 20 move, some have 30, some have you know, the barbarian who is, is completely raged, um, I think has up to, it's either 60 or 80. I'd have to check the notes. But bottom line is you put down the mat, you use some kind of tokens or uh, some type of uh, tabletop figures. And you move those accordingly, and that way it's like a strategic map. It's like what you would see in uh, old war movies where they've got the planes and the tanks, and they're on the different continents, and they've got the uh, the croupiers that are moving the uh, all the different uh, little miniatures uh, as the the progression of the war or the battles are going. Um, that can be done in both physical and digital realm. Uh, we were saying that we're playing Roll20 right now, and Ooh. that is something that is online, and we can, you know, you can put the tokens on, and and the characters can move them, and it just gives a, like a physical representation of, okay, here's where I am, here's where you know my allies are, here where the enemies, and it kind of gives you an idea. Plus, you can uh, take a look. It's like, can I hit him with my short bow? No, not quite. But uh, if I move up 20 feet and then I shoot, then I'll be fine. So there's the that you know, actual physical uh, visual uh, aid when you're playing the game where the theater of the mind is basically the DM giving you an absolute detailed description of what's going on, what you're looking at, where you're standing, what the stance is. Um, some people can do that. Some people are really good with that. It's like reading a book and you're actually saying, Okay, I can see that. I can see that in my mind. I know what's going on. And that's where the theater of the mind comes in. It's much more detailed than what you can do on a map, you know, as far as the descriptions of what's going on. The map is literally a flat plane of some sort, you know, with tokens or figures on it. Um, it but there are some people that are much more um, visual and others that maybe are you know more audible where they actually can take in that description and that feeds in and that's the way they learn um everybody's got their their pros and cons on you know each of those and sometimes it's actually better to have a hybrid and that's what i would say i can't really say this or that i do prefer having mats only because it's easier for me to keep everything straight um because as a storyteller, you're in charge of everything. The players, they know where they are and they know what their next moves are. With a DM, you've got to anticipate what the players are going to do, what your enemy's going to do, what the terrain is looking like. There are a lot of you know, other stimulus that you know, that the DM has to deal with. But I actually think a hybrid is the best way to go. It just makes it easier for the characters that may be more uh, audibly uh, sensitive over visual. And it it also helps the DM being able to explain what he's what he sees in his mind, but also be able to convey that visually. 
So unfortunately, Clay, I, I didn't do a this or that. I did a this and that. So I hope you forgive me for that. I I don't know if I'm in the place to forgive. I right like now. it. Still, um, <laughs> Why not both? Pretty raw. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's still hung up on the red caps and the um, I'm, I'm I'm still hung up on the fact that pirate language isn't no, a thing. No, Clay, Clay, remember, baby Albert. That yeah. doesn't make me feel. We might have to get you a baby owlbear, little stuffed animal, so that you can you can have your calm time. I'm, I may actually pass out. Um, and in, in uh, to, to try and bring me back to a, a safer and happier place, um, I was thinking I would talk to you guys about some fun Reddit posts I found on the D and D subreddit. Uh, what do y'all think about that? Please do. Oh boy. Shoot. I promise I won't yell this time. Um, so I was reading, and there was this, uh, I, there was a top post actually within the last uh, 24 hours, and it was some people who were discussing this, uh, this couple was playing a campaign, and the girl in the campaign was playing a gnome rogue. And I guess through the first, through she- first few sessions, they were playing through, and she never actually equipped the armor that she had and adjusted her armor class for it, which means for those listening that haven't quite played yet, that means that she was able to be hit and hurt by much more than she should have been able to be hit or hurt by all because the entire time her character was holding her armor in a backpack instead of actually wearing it. And I think that that's hilarious (laughs) personally. And I, I think it's happened to me a few times, too. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that in the camp. Have you guys ever had uh, moments where you forgot to put on your, your armor or maybe uh, didn't know what your weapons were doing? I mean, <laughs> I've forgotten what I've had in my equipment multiple times. I mean, just today when I was porting my stuff over from my handwritten character sheet to the Roll20 character sheet, I was like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot I had that item. But not equipping your armor is a new one, and I think that some of the blame there falls on the DM, because usually you're going to have your armor equipped and calculated during character creation, unless your character has a very specific start, or your DM has a vision in mind where your character doesn't start with armor, because like nine times out of ten, you're going to have it on. There's no reason not to. Um and so, I don't know, I, I think that it's funny, but then also, I feel like if this is a new player and the DM wasn't like, hey, you should probably equip your armor so you stop getting hit by things, that's partially on them also. I, just, I like the visual of it, which is that the entire party is there, and there's this little gnome rogue that's just wandering around with, you know, a chest plate, some, some leggings, just in her backpack, kind of dangling around. Like, just wearing a that? t-shirt. She's like, oh, you know, <laughs> just keeps chooses to fight in uh, in plain clothes. I think that's that's even more admirable. Is just no armor, just going at it like a monk. Oh, do we know what her uh, wisdom was? Uh, well, I can take a guess as to what the uh, player's wisdom was. I I don't know what the character's wisdom was though. <laughs> um, I think the whole the DM's wisdom might have been a little bit low as well. Well, you know, it depends. I mean, maybe the DM is thinking, you know, should have thought of that. Or at what point did, you know, did she say, oh, by the way, my scale mail is sitting in my backpack. Right. I mean, I I think the the inference, especially at the DM's side, would have been, you know, she's wearing it. She had it. I'm assuming she's wearing it. 
Uh, yeah, you know. I don't know. Like, I, I agree on one hand, but, um, like, I don't know. I think that you should be able to tell when you're the DM and you're looking at your character's AC and you're like, huh, so you're a rogue and your AC is 12, huh? That's yep. weird. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. No, it does say on here, this was posted by a Reddit user, uh, Hands Blurry, by the way. Um, and it says that they were on D&D Beyond, so it might have just been oh, okay. that, uh, you know, they couldn't quite tell. They were talking about whether or not to upgrade their gear when they got to the next town, uh, and they noticed that she never actually made it active. Mm. So she was just carrying it around. Okay, that makes a lot more sense then. Yeah. That's that's the <laughs> online version. I can, yeah, that would definitely make more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was really, you know, I thought that was cute. It made me smile. They drew a little comic to go with it. So feel free <laughs> to look that up. It was adorable. Um, and I, th- I think it's pretty funny because I know I've done that. I was just, as we were talking about putting our things into Roll20, and I was going over and I was going, man, I have I have sneak attack. I have uncanny dodge. I have all these things I didn't know that I had. And yeah, I, I, sorry, I, I was... Yeah, that's kind of a big one. Yeah, I was going through it. I'm like, I have so many weapons. I have like the short sword and these two daggers, and they're all just mundane. I'm not using any of these. Why am I even carrying them around still? But right, yeah, I still have that mace from way at the beginning. Hey, that's a plus one mace. Hey, you never you know, throw away right. magic stuff. You're right. I shouldn't remember skeletons. Just remember. I shot those skeletons last. No, I used my rapier on them. I'm sorry, and that's the best weapon to use. Yeah, on you rattled around in their rib cage. Yeah, it tickled them to death. It was fun. Yeah. What? Hey, uh, just to finish up our podcast this round, uh, you know that we have had to switch from our physical meeting due to the COVID virus, and we've gone online, like we've said. We're playing Roll Twenty now, and I wanted to just kind of reach out to my co-host here uh, who are actually in my campaign and just kind of get a feel for how they, how are they adjusting to the online session and are, you know, are they still liking it or are we still kind of just pushing and hoping to get back into the physical game at some point? And I don't want a big dissertation. I just kind of want a quick overview what you guys think, you know, Clay, how, how are you doing with this? I didn't know making a character sheet on Roll20 was going to be this uh, mind-numbing. <laughs> um, it was, it's definitely been a, a challenge. Uh, fortunately, I have a, a Roll20 veteran here in Ryan who helped me with my silly questions. Um, but I, I like the concept. I'm looking forward to getting back to a physical one. Uh, I prefer meeting in person, especially because I have all this fun gear that I've purchased. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, I, I like it. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where things go. Awesome. And Bree, what about you? I mean, it's, it's this is kind of, you know, throwing the new player under the bus, so to speak, because it, we just started playing physically and now we're switching over to the digital. Uh, how do you feel? I mean, are you OK with this or are you also hoping to jump back into the physical at some point? I personally. I find it a little bit easier because Clay knows a little bit more than I think he gives himself credit for. So what I do like is that I can ask a clear question and mute myself um, about either combat or maybe some of my spells 
Um, so I kind of like that versus in person, you know, I feeling like I'm the one, you know, not only breaking character, but stealing clay away or somebody nearby to ask questions. So I do like that aspect of it, but I do personally like seeing everyone in person and having, you know, the map and kind of just going with the flow in person. So I, I do like both. What I like is that I can ask kind of more questions without asking you or Ryan directly with Clay. And I think I'm a little bit more relaxed with the role playing uh, online. That's totally understandable, but just know that there's never an issue with you needing a few minutes of time to either question the DM or a fellow player. Uh, if that comes up, you should always feel free to ask. And if the DM's not allowing that, you might want to just take him aside and just say, hey, look, I'm I'm struggling with this. I need some answers. I can't imagine any DM would would not allow that. Ryan, would I mean, would you ever have a problem with a new player asking a question right then, or would you make them hold off? I mean, what feel, what would you do? Um, I, I think in almost any case, I would be fine with a player asking a question, unless I'm like in the middle of describing a room, because that's super annoying when I'm just like, uh, yeah, so the pillars are like this color, and they're like this far apart, and they're like, Oh, hey, uh, that NPC that we talked to in that one town, um, what was his name again? And I'm like, why are you asking me this now? Like, middle of this. So, all right. No, I, I, it, I have to concur. I, I agree. There are, there, but I can't imagine that right. if they you would waited, do that. If you waited to the opportune for, like, a break in, like, the action to be like, hey, Ryan, what's this? I'd be like, oh, yeah, no problem. Like, and what about you? What about you, Ryan? What do you? How are you feeling? I know you're comfortable with both, both physical and roll twenty. I mean, you've like you said, you've had a campaign running for over a year. Um, any any thoughts on that? Sure. Um, I definitely prefer the physical a lot more. Um, last week was a little rough for me because I have a lot of issues um, creating pictures in my head. Um, and so to have things drawn out physically for me or have visual representations is a lot of help. Um, and so, yeah, it, like when somebody's like, hey, you're 20 feet away from this person, I can't like picture that in my head. And so I'm glad that we're going to actually have a map to move on now that we're more set up on Roll20. But, um, yeah, that's that's been like the hardest part of the transition. Uh, oh, that, and I don't have a lot of desk space to roll dice. Um, <laughs> so um, that that was nice when I was able to like have room for my character sheet and my book and my dice and all of my with our gig exactly. And now I already have like my keyboard and my mouse and a bunch of other desk knickknacks and fitting on my like rolling tray is basically impossible but you know <laughs> oh man okay well our time has pretty much run out today so we'll uh, we'll close it there uh we'll be back next week with another and again any questions comments please feel free to to chime in let us know uh make sure that you let us know what is good what's not what you want to hear what you don't and we're going to custom tailor this the best we can, make everybody happy the best we can. And we hope to have you back next week. So until then, Clay, Bree, hey. Ryan, and Nathan, if you're still in there, if you're still in the control oh. room.
There we are. <laughs> Thanks again, guys. Yeah. Have a wonderful week. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.